I've been in Chicago this past week with some of our team and with our very own spiritual director, Patrick Cameron, who is here to share his love, his care, and his inspiration with each one of us every Sunday morning. Welcome, Reverend Patrick. Chicago. We went on a boat ride down the Chicago River. I saw it on TV last night. I was watching the football game. And it was on TV. I said, I was just there. Anyway, and you were all there with me. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be talking like this. What's he talking about? All right. Well, it's great to be back. Happy Thanksgiving. And uh, really, uh, it, it's such a joy for me to be able to come, to come home. And this truly is home for me and for Laura and our family. I'm looking for a name. I want to, as we go into our prayer, I, I wrote it down here. Um, and what I want to do is invite you to, to when we go into a prayer, uh, and we'll sing a song, we'll go into prayer, but we had a tragedy that uh, happened a couple days ago with a, a member of our community by the name of Carissa Kazuska. Uh, let me look, last name. I have to do it phonetically. Kazakowicz. Kazakowicz, I think is how it's pronounced, or I probably am. But anyway, um, her life was taken a couple nights ago, uh, unexpectedly, and, and, it was, uh, and it's on... Um, uh, we got word of it on Facebook. But anyway, what I'd like to do, and I'm going to speak to it a bit today, is um, as we do our prayer work today, to extend. She had two daughters, single mom, uh, two young girls, 39 years old. She'd been part of the Free Hugs group, had just been at an event a couple days ago downtown, giving out the Free Hugs. And uh, her life was ended by uh, an individual who's been uh, arrested. And so without any more of the details, uh, we share that, that tragic experience as a community. And uh, when I first heard about it, it just cracked my heart open. And so I want to um, talk about it and hold this space for her, her family, and for everyone involved with that, as well as one of our own, Reverend Tammy Banting's uh, beloved sister, Sharon uh, Volstead, passed away this past several days ago. And uh, her memorial will be in Red Deer. Is it at 1 o'clock? On Tuesday. And I will be officiating. So I'm going to invite anyone that would like to be there. Uh, you can talk to me afterwards or uh, we'll get that information to you. It's at uh, Parkland Memorial in Red Deer. 1 o'clock on Tuesday. So anyway, there's been a couple of uh, significant events that have happened that have impacted our community and people in the community. And so I wanted to invite you to, as we do our prayer work, to have a mindfulness around that as we open our hearts uh, in, in prayer. Because our prayers are powerful. It's our consciousness. Consciousness is so powerful. And I'm going to talk about that today. And to be able to extend unconditional love in moments like this, because it's easy to do it when everybody is, you know, we're all in the blush of something that's, that, that is uh, uplifting energetically. And yet, uh, many times, these experiences can, can put us in a spin. So I want to, do, to talk about it, bring it into the conversation, and to invite you to uh, hold that idea of unconditional love and support, knowing that all the people involved with us have everything they need in every way, shape, and form. And so with that, I'd like to invite you, if you'd like to stand and sing with me, please feel free. If not, stay seated, and we'll sing and say a prayer. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. 
And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. So I invite you to know with me, your consciousness is guiding my words. And so I surrender into this moment to the collective because it is God's presence. It is Spirit's presence. And so as I listen deeply, as I recognize that one source of life that is in and through and as and all around me, I recognize and celebrate my oneness with it. I know for myself and for you that we know everything necessary in each moment to experience. And sometimes the experience of that is the mystery. Sometimes the experience of that is I don't know. But something within me does know, and I stand in that faith and that truth, and I stand and I wait upon this, this, this Holy Spirit to make its presence known in my life and to guide me and direct me. And I know that that delay is not a denial. I also know for these families, for Carissa and for Reverend Tammy, that the blessings pour themselves forth in ways unexpected, that they stand in this, this consciousness of strength and unity and knowing and grounded in that faith and grounded in that certainty and extending my and your unconditional love to everyone, wherever it is needed, not only with these individuals, but whatever it is needed in the world, it is received with love and graciousness and power and beauty. This is my knowing. This is my intention. I share this intention with you, knowing that this room, as we just sang, has enough love in it for the entire world, and it does. Because of the power and the clarity that we stand together, I, I accept and celebrate your love, your clarity, your passion, your commitment to your life in ways known and unknown. For this I give thanks. I release these words knowing our celebration today on this Thanksgiving Day truly is a day of gratitude and appreciation. And that which we appreciate, appreciates. And so I put my energy, my commitment, my, my devotion into those ideas that I hold precious. For this I give thanks knowing it is already done in the mind of the one and our celebration is already complete in the mind of the one and now it has an opportunity to show up in song and thought and in, in emotional feelings in words and deeds for this I give thanks and together we say and so it is Stefan thank you you're a good man showing up and isn't he great all the musicians All right. So as um, Reverend Catherine was saying, we were in Chicago with a training. And the training, I, I, can't, I won't get into a lot of details because there are too many of them, but it was a wonderful uh, model. Uh, we went, uh, several of us went uh, uh, from leadership, and we, went, and we were exploring a model called the Meta Model, which is a model that not only works for spiritual community or churches, but it works in any uh, organization. And so it's an organizational template to keep things healthy. And it's an organizational template that really spins the whole idea of the way we do community. So what we're going to do, and it's, it's a, quite a long transition. They say it takes about three to five years to transition into the model. And so what we're doing right now, what I plan on doing is just uh, entertaining the, the, um, the discussion with people 
as we go along and seeing if it's a good fit. But what it is, to give you a real quick overview, is a model of, of uh, deep care uh, and connection within community and also uh, an opportunity for unbounded growth. And uh, it's a very intriguing model and it's quite wonderful. The thing I love about it is it frees me up to do the things that, that I love to do. And we, we have a bit of it going already, but to really understand it at a deep level, and, and it was just wonderful to sit in a room with a group of people that are giving birth to this. It was actually born, this model was actually born in Korea, I found out. Didn't know that before we went. There was a minister in Korea that had 3,000 members in his church, and he got so sick and run down he couldn't show up anymore. Not that I can relate to that. But, but uh, uh, he got so depleted, and so he couldn't even come to church anymore, and they wanted to keep the community together, so they, they came up with this model, and it's based on a small group model, which is quite intriguing. But I, I thought that was remarkable. So while he was sick for 10 years, the church grew from 3,000 to 10,000. See? You don't even need me around here. <laughs> that might be a good thing, you know? Oh, I'll be, I'll be around, I, you know, uh, in what form, who knows. I'll, you know, in a few years, I could look like the hunchback of Notre Dame, just up in the bell tower up there, and <laughs> swinging on a rope. Maybe that'd be my job. Anyway, but that's a bit of the model, and I'll roll that out. As I got on the airplane last Sunday, I got to tell you this, I get on, and I just, because it ties into a bit of what I'm going to talk about today, but there was a young man sitting next to me, and he'd just come to Alberta for the first time, and he'd just driven a, a flatbed truck up from Champlain, Illinois, the company he works for manufactures these trucks and propane trucks for uh, companies in Edmonton. And I said, so how was your trip? You know, start there. Ask somebody about themselves. You, it's amazing. It's a great social technique if you haven't done that. Ask a question. And he said to me, oh my God, he said, I called home and people said, what does it look like there? And he says, it looks just like Illinois. <laughs> and, and then I said, well, how was the trip? How did you come up? Because I, you know, I grew up in Minnesota. I kind of know the route going up to, from Illinois to Canada. And he said, well, it was good. He said, but when we got to Minot, North Dakota, the fellow that had set up the trip from Edmonton, uh, he drove back. He was driving one truck, and this fellow was driving a flatbed uh, truck for the company. And he said that uh, they got to Minot, North Dakota, and he said to the fellow, did you make reservations for a place to stay? And he said, oh, it's Minot, North Dakota. There's 30 hotels there, no problem. He said, we pull in at 10 o'clock at night and there's 170-year-olds and up, people lined up going into the Denny's. He said, he said I knew we were in trouble. It was a Scandinavian festival in Marnot, North Dakota. No hotel rooms. He said, we finally found a room. It was an older lady that had a home and a room in the back. And she was a hoarder. So he said, we had to walk sideways down the hall. He was telling me the story and I was just laughing and laughing and laughing. I said, well, what did you think of the rest of the trip? He says, well, the roads in Saskatchewan are horrible. <laughs> oh, I said, okay. Are you coming back soon? He says, probably not. <laughs> but anyway, but what happened with it is that, as, uh, as, uh, I'm using Gary Zukoff's book, this, uh, and he wrote this in 2010, called Spiritual Partnership. It's a powerful, wonderful book. And I'm not, teaching, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. I'm just up, you know, we're always here to be reminded. When I was doing the research for this, I just, oh, I know that, I know that. But I, unless I, I'm, I'm forced, and my job forces me, which is a good thing, I need all the force I can get. Otherwise, I'd be, who knows what I'd be doing, you know. I'd be the hunchback in Notre Dame over at Commonwealth Stadium, maybe, who knows. But, but anyway, um, but what, what I'm doing is reminding. I'm sharing with you ideas that you already know. And I love what, what Zukov's come up with. His story 
Gary Zukoff had been, um, he went to Harvard, graduated from Harvard, and then he joined the uh, Special Forces of the United States uh, Army. He became a Green Beret. He went to Vietnam, he fought in Vietnam, and he came back, and he was a biker, and he was a tough guy, and he was doing all the manly things, and then he had an experience in his life that changed everything. And what he said was that, so he can relate, so his journey, so he wrote a book called The Dancing of the Wooly Masters, and I don't know if you've ever read it. I have not read that book, but I have it at home, and I'll get to it one day. Maybe when you guys don't need me here anymore, I can go read that one. But uh, uh, then he wrote Seed of the Soul, and he said when he was writing The Dance of the Wooly Masters, the book came through him, and he said it was just a mystical experience. And it, got, it put him on this pathway of spiritual discovery. And he talks about, it, he, the book is called Spiritual Partnership, The Journey to Authentic Power. And what he says is that there's two processes alive on the planet, and I completely agree with everything he has to say, and I, I love the box that he speaks uh, to it from. He said process A is it's happening, this part of it is happening to everyone. We're all immersed in race consciousness or cultural conditioning. Cultural conditioning is another word for the race consciousness. It has nothing to do with, with uh, ethnic race, but it has to do with uh, humanity, the race of humankind. And so it's happening. There's an evolution going on, and it's just it's happening inherently. And the way it shows up, as he expresses it, it's the expansion of human perception. It's beyond what we can see, hear, taste, feel, and smell. So it's beyond the five senses. It's happening everywhere to everyone at some level. What it does is it allows you to know about another person beyond your five senses. So you'll have an intuitive hit. You'll have an intuitive knowing. You're, you're drawn to a certain uh, experience. This is going on. And he said within a few generations, everyone will be operating at a very high level of this awareness. And that is happening. We can't stop it. It's just we're in it. We're here in these bodies. We're having the experience. It also allows you to, in, to encounter meaning in unexpected ways, a brief experience that everything is perfect or a feeling of connectedness with a stranger, which is what as I was laughing with this young man. Is, and he, the more I laughed, the more he elaborated on the story of his journey from, from Champlain, Illinois, to, to Edmonton. But we can have those brief experiences with people where, and those brief experiences in life where for no good reason we feel like everything's perfect. And so what I think happens for me when I'm with you doing this and, I, and I'm, I'm in a different space or a consciousness, and, and what that feels like is it, everything is perfect. And Dr. Holmes, if you read Ernest Holmes, much of his writing was around this experience. That's why he came to this conclusion about this one life and claiming that life as his own, because he had so many of those experiences. He's, Dr. Holmes used to say, when deep calls unto deep, deep answers. Well, that's a, that's a reflection of consciousness. Process A is, to, to build on it a little bit more, is multi-sensory perception. Now, process B requires choice. So A is happening, it's happening to everyone. B requires choice. You must choose, you and I must choose, to make B happen. So B is, 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 is deciding to create fulfilling, joyful lives, the ones that are calling us. See, there's, we are absolutely connected. There's a oneness. I get it. You get it. We find it. I mean, and everyone has passions about it. Some people, for some people, it's nature. For some people, it's the physical activity. For some people, it's the discovery. It just, there's many, many, you know, all of them are pathways, but the subtlety of it is, is, is the consciousness and the intention behind it. But we are being called by this fulfilling, joyful life which is our soul, which is that the unseen. 
It requires us to choose what it does then, and, and this is the discipline about it. It requires us to choose words and deeds moment by moment that will create joyful and constructive consequences. So it's a moment by moment journey. Even, this is the tough part, even when the experience can be painful or we have violent emotions that roar through us. So to give you an, a really re- recent example of it, when I heard about Carissa, I, Jody, actually Jody Gattel uh, texted me and it was first I heard of it, and I thought, geez, I don't know who this young girl is. And then I went on and she said, oh, you recognize her. And I went on uh, fa- Facebook and I found her. And uh, uh, she'd, been, she'd been murdered. And so I'm processing that as I hear the information. And, and being a dad, you know, when you become a dad to a little girl, your whole perspective towards women shifts, I've got to tell you. All the things that were kind of okay with me when I was, you know, in my early 20s, they're not okay anymore. <laughs> and so, because <laughs> I see it through that filter. And this is the, one of the, the blessings of being a parent. But it calls you up to a different idea and a different perspective. So when I hear that, of course, this is a member of the community and, and, and a member of my spiritual family. And so I spin in the disappointment and the anger and the frustration for a bit. We all do, because it's a blow. And what I, at the end of the day, and, and I'm reading Zukov's book when I was, was, uh, got the, the information, but for me what happened was I was at the section where he says that when we go into these feelings of fear and sadness and sorrow and, and uh, what feels beyond us, because when these experiences happen, it's overwhelming. It cracks you open. And he said what it touches for all of us is this sense of being powerless. And I thought, yep, that's where I am. Because I don't want that to happen to anyone, especially someone that's part of my, my tribe. And so then, then the, the, the question becomes for us, because it's alive and it's tender and it's real right now, is how do, I, how do I choose in this moment? How do I look at this and choose in this moment? And for me, many times, it's just simply breathing. I have to start breathing sometimes and being present with myself. And then knowing that what's important for me to know about this will make itself clear. I have to do it piece by piece. But, but if, I, if I hadn't had exposure to spiritual partners in my life and mentors in my life, I wouldn't have those tools. I wouldn't have the perspective to shift back. And so then my sorrow I can process as, as effectively as possible, and I'm still in the mourning process. You know, I, when I heard that Tammy's sister had passed away, we knew nothing about it because she'd been very private with it. And, and about six months ago, she was di- diagnosed with lung cancer. And she died about, ten, I think, about 10 days ago. So here's a member of our spiritual, very you know, close to a spiritual family who's loved one. And I've met her sister, Sharon, many times. She used to come to the center every time she was in town. She lived down uh, in um, Rimby. I think she lived in Rimby, but Red Deer, somewhere down there. But anyway, so when she would come to town, I'd meet her. And then here's Carissa going through this experience. So all these things happen. And they're happening to everybody all the time, everywhere. You know, this is part of the cycle of life, and, 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 and when it's unexpected, of course, it's a blow. So, but it does create, it touches that sense of, of powerlessness. I'm powerless. But the point is, that was never my power to have anyway. What I do have influence over, what I do have power over, is my response to it and how I hold it. And if I truly believe I'm a person of faith, and I believe in the eternality of life, and I believe that every soul is celebrated, and, and that th- these experiences, are, are, all of them are for us, even though I don't understand it, so I'm willing to hand that off, and I don't need to understand it intellectually, but I can be there, so if it cracks me open, I'm cracked open, so then I can love more expansively. And so I'm just sharing with you some of my process, because I don't need to understand all of it. I don't know. 
I don't know why these things happen. And I don't know why we sign up for these things. There are many things I've done in my life, I don't know why the heck I did them. Other than I wasn't choosing very wisely, I was living my life by, by uh, percentages rather than intentionally. And many times, even though when we send an intention, we still have the old experience because that consciousness is still alive in us. So what process B requires us is to continue to choose those words and deeds moment by moment that will create joyful, constructive consequences, even when their painful or violent emotions roar through us. I love Dr. Ernest Holmes when he said, we must be willing to look at a thing until it no longer has power over us. That's one of the most powerful things this man ever said. Which, which means that whatever it is, if we understand that, it, 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 that everything we're immersed in is spirit and these things happen, how could this be anything but God? And yet, much of it I don't understand. You know, what, what's happened though, if we look at it from uh, um, Zukov's perspective, is that if we look at our history, we live, we are the, we are the inheritors of a history of conquering lands, of exploiting land for, for gain, of ex- exploiting uh, native people primarily, of genocide for people that, that are um, unable to defend themselves. We, we, and our history is, is littered with that type of experience. And what it is, all it is, from looking at it without spinning into it in, in sadness and despair, it is people operating from that, pers- that process of A, which is the five senses what I can see and feel and touch and taste and hear. And what's happening, the shift on the planet is this new consciousness that's being given birth. And that's the choice. It's what B, what B is, is, requires all of us is finding and changing all the parts of our personality that do not intend what my soul intends. So if you take away anything this week, maybe and for myself to work with, what does my soul intend? What does your soul intend? That's for you to know. What does my soul intend? Which for me, soul in this context is a little different than what Holmes uses, Dr. Ernest Holmes. Dr. Ernest Holmes will tell you that the the aspect of soul is that piece of us, that piece of our totality that every thought becomes a prayer. And with the greater clarity and the greater intention, we start to impress upon this this infinite quality of life that always says yes. The reason that we have inconsistent results in our lives is because our prayer work and our thinking is inconsistent. That infinite law, intelligence can only respond to the quality and the subjective nature of our consciousness. And so when we're in fuzzy in our thinking, we get fuzzy results. We get inconsistent results. It doesn't mean we give up and it doesn't work. It simply means it's our opportunity to go back, find and change all the parts of my personality that did not line up with my soul's intention. And finding and cultivating all the parts of my personality that do not intend what my soul intends. My soul intends, your soul intends harmony, cooperation, sharing, and reverence for life. That's why I think it's so painful when we have an experience when someone in our community is murdered. There's no reverence for life there. There's no cooperation. There's no compassion. I mean, it's alive there. It's just not present. See, in all these qualities, all these qualities, see, our consciousness is like a bowl, as, as Zukov says. Our consciousness is like a bowl. And we get to put into that bowl whatever we want to carry. So process A is without effort. Process B awaits commitment, courage, compassion, conscious communications and actions to bring into our lives. So what it requires is to set the intention, not just once, but as often as it takes. 
Be emotionally aware. What am I feeling? Not only what am I feeling, but where am I feeling it? Five sensory human beings evolved by surviving. We've gone as far as we're going to go on this planet by surviving. And that's not a bad thing. It's not to look at all of it and say it's bad and wrong. It's to realize, you know what, I choose to live my life in connection with what my soul's longing is, and I'm willing to do the work to live at, at, at depth with myself. We, we evolve. Multisensory people grow by evolving spiritually. And you cannot grow spiritually until you have the courage to enter into meaningful and significant relationships. Can't do it on your own. I can't. As you choose to grow, as you choose to shift, the world shifts. The world shifts. There's a chapter in this book called The Butterfly Effect, which is beautiful and powerful. And, and, and it talks about a scientist that was doing some research, and I'll, I'll flesh it out for you more next week. He talks about a scientist, and he was doing some research, and, and he was very close. He had a long list of numbers, and he was calculating something. And rather than put all the numbers in, he rounded it up to the next to make it easier. We always like to round it up, you know? Said a 98 cents will make it a dollar. Anyway, it threw everything off. And, he, and, he, and so what he did is he correlated that to how the shift in consciousness is so precious and important and powerful. So I think when we hold that, when we have things that happen in our experience, this murder of this young girl, single mom, two kids, you know, I'm still, I'm still in prayer about these two little girls and, you know, I, I, I want to I fix that right now is where I am with it. But, uh, but, it, but the point is, is that, that it's so important how we choose to process this because that will set the template for what the next experience in consciousness is. So if we collectively know that these little girls have everything they need and that family has everything they need and we don't need to outline it but we support the highest and best results for them, we can start there. Well, we can certainly do things, but we can start there in our thinking. That gives us a foundation of strength to show up and say, you know what, I know something really crummy happened, but I want to let you know that there's a group of people that we stand in as a tribe of consciousness and support you in unconditional love. Let's start there. And instead of spinning into our own fear and depression and sadness and sorrow, because those are going to be real experiences, and don't deny them. Pull them up and look at them until they no longer have power in your life. And if you're not through them, then start there and do your work. But set that as your intention. Gary Zukov says, what is my intention? And he says, checking in, am I responding in love or am I responding in fear? I do that Prosperity Plus class. I love it. I love doing Prosperity Plus because it just pushes everybody's buttons. And there's a lot of fear around money. At the, at the bottom of all this, having, and, and, and rightfully so, most of us never got enough in our lives. But if we don't pull it up and look at it, and when it starts to come up and say, I can't do this class because you're asking me to give, to be able to say, well, let's look, what, what's at the root of that? Let's look at first experience with money. What's the fear around that? You know that money, as Mary Morris says in the class, money is the, the number one word mentioned in the Bible. It's not faith, it's not God, it's money. And so what I get to do is I get to stand in that space, the whirlwind of, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, and say, well, talk about that. Look at that. It's powerful. You need to stand in your power, in your fully orbed sense of purpose with your soul and be resourced so you can give your gifts to the world. But if you run around keep fighting for the limitation, there's not enough, there's not enough, there's not enough, what do you get? You get not enough. How much is enough? I don't know, that's up to you. I had enough to get to Chicago and back. I, was, I had a one time, a buddy of mine said to me, I'll tell you this story. 
I'm going to go ahead and tell you anyway, whether you want me to or not. A buddy of mine says, let's go. He says, Pat, come on, we're going to go. We're going to we're gonna go to Flagstaff, Arizona. Company's got a condo down there. Let's go to Flagstaff, Arizona. I said, great, let's go to Flagstaff, Arizona. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, boy. I don't have any money to go to Flagstaff, Arizona. It's oh, it's covered, don't worry. So I've got this old station wagon. I used to drive old station wagons all the time. It was really not good for picking up girls because they always thought I had six, a wife and six kids at home. But anyway, I, I liked them because I could haul all my stuff. I could throw my, my softball gear in there, hockey sticks in there. You know, I could live in my station wagon if I had to. Anyway, we get down, to, we get down about uh, 50 miles from Flagstaff. And Roger, the guy I'm traveling with, invited me. He says, let's pull over and use a payphone." I said, okay. Who are we calling? He says, well, I'm going to call the corporate offices and see if this, that, that condo's available. <laughs> I said, wait a minute. We just drove 2,700 miles from Minnesota all the way down. Through, we were in Kansas City. There's no snow plows or salt or dirt on the road. And we were doing cookies all the way through the heart of Kansas City, 3 in the morning. I, it was wild. We get all the way there. I'm down to like $15, and he's got about $27.50. I said, you're calling now? <laughs> you might have wanted to call earlier. So he calls, and lo and behold, it's January 15th. The place is occupied. I said, well, now we've got to get home. Where are we going? He says, let's go to Vegas. <laughs> okay. We go to Vegas. We go to the Hotel El Cortez. I don't think it's there anymore. There probably have been more mob guys uh, who lost their lives in the Hotel El Cortez than anybody in uh, any hotel in Vegas. We walk in, and he starts playing a slot machine. I said, what are you doing? <laughs> we got, I got 15 bucks, you got 27.50. And as he puts another coin in, all of a sudden he hits the jackpot for $90. I said, let's go. <laughs> we stuck that money in our pockets and we took off. I get two miles from home and I run out of gas. I had to call my mom to come and get me. Anyway, <laughs> but I'll never forget that. You talk about an act of faith, because we didn't know what we were doing. We're just going to go on a holiday. We're going. Who knows how we were going to eat when we got to Flagstaff, Arizona, if the place was available. <sighs> but my intention in that was I was going to Arizona. Zukov says, the question, one of the questions to ask is, am I doing what I'm doing to support others in the planet, or am I doing to impress others and to feel important? And if I find myself trying to impress, manipulate, and control... He says, I challenge myself to stop. I challenge myself to stop. He said that, that when I stop, I choose to act on the healthiest, most loving parts of myself, always choosing love. I choose on, always to act upon the healthiest parts of myself, always choosing love. I was talking to Anita in the back, and she came in. I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm going to tell your story. She, she comes in, and she's just like she'd been run a, a marathon. And she said on the way to, to the center this morning that she saw a woman that didn't look right for her running around, kind of in a panic. And so, what's going on? So her and Christina d- d- stopped and, and went back. And she said, what happened? She said, well, my three-year-old daughter took off with our dog and we can't find her. So they helped find this little girl and the dog. And I thought, you know, isn't it amazing when we're awake and aware we're always in the right place at the right time? And she was a long way away from home. And I mean, what a great Thanksgiving and to be part of that. Right. Oh, God, take it. And we immediately started calling in God. We right. finally guided to find this child of God. Right. And that was the message. Beautiful. I'm going to share that because you probably didn't hear that. But she said the kids started to go into fear mode about the missing child. And immediately they called uh, um, 
Christine and Anita called in the presence of God to be guided in it. But what great awareness. What great awareness. I mean, and that's available to all of us. You know, and what, and, and what, a, what a wonderful sharing on Thanksgiving. So is it, is it authentic? Are we creating authentic power with each choice? Spiritual partners help me recognize a part of my personality that's coming from fear. So we all need spiritual partners. I'm, I'm here standing before you as a result of spiritual partnership. As you become more loving, you attract more loving people. As you become more creative, you attract into your life more creative people. See, there's no competition. It's about collaboration, it's a spirit of collaboration. As you, as you become more angry, what do you, what do you attract? More angry people. There's all kinds of stuff out there in the law of attraction. It works. Spiritual partners cannot uplift us. They can't do it. Only you can uplift you. Spiritual partners don't try to appease. They they ask you instead. They ask you, what are you feeling? I mean, what is your intention? What are you acting from? Where are these experiences coming from? To surround ourselves with people who are interested in substance and death, a depth, who are interested in changing themselves. More interested in changing themselves and changing you or people around you. Those are spiritual partners. I got this sign in Chicago. And so when, when I'm in conversation, I'm going to start getting these laminated. Everybody can have one. It just says, tell me more. Okay? On the back side, while you're telling me more, it says, this is not about me. Okay? I have about 45 of them left in the back if you'd like one. And you can order them online, 10 for a dollar. <laughs> but isn't that great? They passed that out at the conference. Because it's so true. When people start to share, especially when they're sharing with you about you. Tell me more. But it's, it's such a challenge because we think it's about us. And when somebody is coming at you to change you, they're not a spiritual partner. Am I coming from fear or am I coming from love? People that support us without agenda. When we, when we stand in that, that connection and appreciation, which seems like, it can seem vulnerable, but when you stand in that, then our whole life becomes a meditation. Remember the Jerry Maguire, the movie, when that, at that scene where she says, you complete me, and 75% or 90% of the women in the audience go, oh, she completes Tom Cruise. Oprah was on. Oprah, I was watching Oprah, and she said, I told Tom Cruise when I saw him that was the worst line ever in any movie. Because nobody can complete you. Nobody can complete you. We, wouldn't it be great if they could? Man, I'd be in line. I'd be the first one there. I'd go with my lawn chair, and I'd line up. We were in, we were in Chicago. Talk about spiritual partnership. We were in Chicago, and we go to this, uh, this lovely little cafe. We were in this great old neighborhood. We were in Lincoln Park. And we walked about 20 minutes to the, and we walked every day together. It was wonderful. And so we get to Lincoln Park, and, and there's, a, there's a little breakfast uh, uh, place that Reverend Connie Neeson had found for us called uh, Batter and Berries. And we go in the first day, and there's this guy, and his name is Tosimi. He's the waiter. And the, inter- the internet, the Wi-Fi was down. So Tosimi, and just this wonderful, wonderful presence, he's handwriting everything, and he's just freaking out because all these ministers, he doesn't know who we are because there was about 120 people at this conference. So there's about 40 of us in this restaurant, or 30 of us. 
And he's handwriting everything, and he's just going like crazy, and he's going like crazy, and we're all sitting there, and we're talking, and, he, and we understand. They've explained the situation, so we're probably going to be late to the conference. And he walks over to our table, and he says, you know, you also chill. <laughs> okay. He said, yeah, and you know, you being so chill, making me chill. <laughs> okay, Cool. So then he came back, he took our orders, and he was doing his thing, and everybody was like, and, and everybody was just in the state of love. I mean, we were, we were all connected, and we knew that if we're late, there, we'll miss the first part, but what are you going to do? And then he came back over, and he said, after about 10 minutes, he brought our food and went and did some more things. He says, you all must be together. <laughs> pointing at everybody in the group. And I said, we are. And then we told him about Bodhi. We were at this Bodhi Center, which uh, is uh, Mark Anthony Lord's center in Chicago. This young minister just bursting with energy and ideas. And we said, you'd be a good fit. Just right around the corner. It's right there. He didn't know a thing about it. But, but it, what it was was stepping up, not to, to show up. We went in there to, to of course, have a meal. But, we, but no one that I could tell was there feeling like we were there to be served. And so we were there to be supportive and to be present with what was going on. And none of that conversation happened, but because of all of our, all of the, the, the spiritual practice that we've all done, it sort of revealed itself. And it was a wonderful thing to see. Because then you're just there in love. You're there in support. You're, you're there without agenda. It's, and some people shared at the, at the conference later that, you know, I was getting upset because I, I couldn't, I was going to be late and I can't be late. And that was a lie for many people, but it didn't play itself out there. So if he did, the great thing is with people found themselves going there, they stopped. Because it, it wasn't going to change conditions. And we all ended up being on time anyway. But he said that uh, it, it was a, an amazing experience. So spiritual partnership. Instead of looking for the right person, instead of looking for the right person, be the right person. Friends are not spiritual partners. And this is a very, very critical piece. Friends are not spiritual partners. I did a wedding here yesterday and my gosh, they were friends and lovers and sweethearts and friends and spiritual partners and soulmates and on and on and on. And that's a wonderful idea, but many times our spiritual partners are not our mates in life. And they can be. But we were spiritual partners with Tassimi. You can be spiritual partners with anybody. It's all about the consciousness you bring to the relationship. And that relationship can last five minutes. What spiritual partners do is they come together and they do the work together. When the work's done, they go their separate ways. Spiritual partners, friends, friends come together to, to be buffeted from the wind. And spiritual partners will ask you, where does the wind come from? It's a completely different relationship. It's not about, come here, come here, come here. But it's about, let's talk about this wind. Where do you feel it? What does it look like when it comes up for you? What is your intention? What do you want? Spiritual part, friends, friends are friends. Don't want to rock the boat. Do you want to go over to a friend's house for dinner and be cross-examined? I don't. You know, I want to talk about the Eskimos. They're six and eight now, aren't they? Oilers are doing pretty well. But I mean, all of it, we all need friendship. But friends don't want to rock the boat. Spiritual partners love to swim. Spiritual partners love to swim. That's why you've got to have spiritual partners in your life. Mark Anthony Lord said, I love it when people get upset with me. Because this model that we're looking at, any model, anytime you change anything, people are going to leave. 
And he says, let them leave in love. And I know this. We were, we were there at the conference, and, and it's a safe environment for a lot of ministers in the room, and for many ministers, they were sharing at a very deep level, and it was very personal for them. And, and it's one environment where they can do that. And at one point in time, one of our group, in the group handed me a note, passed me a note, said, why would anyone, after listening to this for a day and a half, want to be a minister? And I didn't write back because I didn't want to be passing notes in class. And I didn't share anything that would embarrass anybody because I was, I was completely supported in the whole thing. I mean, it was, I just wasn't at that, uh, that point of process. But what I, I do know, and Marcia Sutton said this, who's my current mentor with the co-creation, Marcia said that a minister will create the right and perfect environment around them for the optimal level of healing. And so what I tell you, what, the reason I tell you that, when I see things happening within the community, what I know is that it, it's alive in me. So whatever's alive in me, it's my opportunity to look at it and say, I want to I look at this, I want to pull it up, I want to look at it and see where it's not congruent with my soul's longing and do my own personal work. And I think that's true for myself. It's true for all of us. It is true for all of us. What I'm interested in is creating authentic power and working with people who are interesting, interested in developing authentic power. So when a situation, when an, when an experience comes home, lands on our doorstep like Carissa, or whatever the tragedy may be, or whatever the situation may be, and I watch these little kids come in here every Sunday, and I just love them. They're being exposed to this. I'm so excited. I said to Martin, where's Angus? Martin's here with Tara, and I, I just I love this man's voice. I mean, this guy's voice is world class, and his consciousness. Is it not? To have Martin, I, I just adore this man. And so I said, and where's the little guy? And he's downstairs playing. I thought, oh, that's so cool. Because they get to enjoy his consciousness. He comes from this beautiful family of, of love, conditional and unconditional. And, and to be in that family of love, you know, those things just make my heart sing. That's what I'm for. And to be able to, to have the courage to stand together and, and understand that, yeah, you know, that sometimes we go off the tracks and to have enough spiritual partnership in our lives to say, what's going on there? What do you think that's about? Not with judgment, not with agenda, not thinking they have to fix. Not with a magic wand, we can't do that, but to ask the question, bring it into the light so we can all look at it. What's alive here? What's longing to happen? I just, I love that. I love this teaching. I love all the spiritual partners I've had throughout the, uh, the years. I love teaching a class and hearing my questions come up and then thinking, I have no idea how to answer any of that. And then all of a sudden, the answer shows up. It's like, wow. And then somebody say, can you repeat that? I'll say, I have no idea what I just said. <laughs> so this is life. You know, this is life. People leave us unexpectedly. People pass away through, they, 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 the body develops something and it's not sustainable. And yet there are times when we can shift and change that and there's times when we don't. There's not a straight line. Our lives are not a straight line. And it's having the courage and the willingness to keep showing up and be authentic and to ask ourselves the hard questions. What's alive in me that supports this? What is my fear around this? Why do I believe there's not enough time, energy, money, people, resources, whatever it may be? See, because that's my small thinking. And then, I, and then, the, and, and then what I do is I, I get into that, the ego, which you've all heard the, the acronym edging, edging God out. I can't do it on my own. You can't do life on your own. Not at that level. Not at that process B, which is choosing. 
and understanding. And then showing up and doing the, our part to, to play in this. How do we be in powerful, wonderful relationship? Where, where, when do we tip over from being empowering to enabling? Because if we do that, then we just pull ourselves back and say, no, I'm not going to do that piece for you. You can do that. You have everything you need to get through this. God, I, my teacher told me that over and over again. She peeled me off with off that idea of enabling, taking care of everybody. Can't take care of anybody unless we're taking care of ourselves. We got on the airplane to go to Chicago and coming back. First thing they do after they show you how to put the seatbelt on is tell you that when, if we lose pressure, the oxygen mask will fall down, put it on your face first, and then take care of your children or who's ever with you if they need help. And this is the work we're about, spiritual partnership. So I thank you on this beautiful Thanksgiving being here today. I'm so grateful for, as I mentioned, Martin and our musicians being here. This amazing community of empowerment and the ability to ask the questions, is this, is this what we intend or perhaps we've missed the mark here? So let's go back and, and revisit it and look at it in a new way. That's the healthy perspective. And also to understand we stand on faith. That something powerful and wonderful is a seeking expression beyond our wildest imagination at times what is that and all it requires is a yes and a willingness wherever we have a resistance alive to put it down but we don't have to do any of it willingness is so powerful it can open that doorway to unbounded possibilities and we light up we do this in the consciousness we light it up a cell at a time each time we forgive each time we bless each time we show appreciation one more cell lights up in your body my body there's, I don't know how many million are there, but I'd rather have 10 more today than not 10. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of this movement beyond the walls of this community. Thank you being alive with all the great traditions on the planet that are spiritually alive and vibrant and connected and being willing to step into and live in the mystery as well as understanding what is ours to do. It is a great legacy. It is a baton of consciousness that's been handed down to us from Dr. Ernest Holmes and all the great avatars that have come down through the ages, all the great spiritual masters and teachers. And each tradition speaks of theirs. We honor all of them on this day of Thanksgiving. I'm just so grateful to be part of this, to be part of this movement, to be part of this shifting and changing of consciousness, to be able to love one another and to extend love even in times of sadness and sorrow and pain. So I thank you, I just give thanks, and I know that for you and for myself, this day is blessed in every way possible, as our lives are and continue to be, and so it is.